Hey everybody, welcome back to What Happened to You. Before we begin today's episode, I wanted to let you all know of an event that I have coming up on November 18th at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. It's an online discussion between myself and Dr. Darcy Harris, who's a therapist and author, and we're going to talk about my experience getting molested, how I'm coping now, and the impact that comedy has had on my healing journey. There will also be a live Q&A part of the discussion where you can write in questions and we'll respond to them. It's hosted by Reimagine and Grief Dialogues. It's all over Zoom and it's completely free. You just need to register beforehand if you'd like to attend. So the link to do that is in the description of this podcast. And now this is episode seven with Katie Anderson. I don't think Hello. my camera's on. How are you? Oh, there you are. Hey, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. It's so nice to have you on here, and I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with myself and all of the people listening. And it's super low stakes. It's, uh, you know, just a conversation between two strangers who got molested. So, you know. <laughs> yes. All right. First of all, I have to say, like, I have thought for so long that I don't know, like when I saw your video, like I just, that is like something I just want to see all the time. It's like this thing placed in a positive like perspective, like it doesn't have to be so secret, like it's annoying. Yeah. And that's a huge, but, it's why it's such a big problem is because people feel like they have to keep it a secret for all sorts of reasons, mainly like shame, you know, people feel like yeah. alone and, and it's just, it couldn't be further from the truth. It's like, not only are you not alone, there are like millions and millions of people who have been through the exact same thing. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for saying that. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was so awesome when I saw that. I mean, I think it's going to get better too, but um so I was molested obviously that's why I resonated with that um my story's a little I guess different in the sense that when it did happen I told my parents right away so it was my uncle who did it and I had slept over their house I had watched an Oprah episode ironically like, I don't know how many months before, but at some point I'd watched an Oprah episode explaining what like good touch, bad touch is and what kids should do if this should happen. So when it did happen, I was nine years old and I already knew like what it was. And I was like, Oh, ding, ding, ding. Oprah said to tell an adult. So that's what I did. Shout out to Oprah. How about that? Yeah, I guess so. She was like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know big opinion but it, it was very like informative like you know what I saw but unfortunately did not work out too well my benefit um so he was my aunt's boyfriend at the time and they were like in their 20s they were younger but they were living together um and the morning of because I'd like slept over their house I went to tell my mom and he was like golfing with my dad at the time. Like he did that. And then it was like, oh, golf with Katie's dad, Just, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. Standard. Yeah, like, of course. It's another day, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> like on to it. Yeah. Um, so like, it, I'm just like trying to paint a picture of how ingrained he was in my family. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like he really like just sort of weaseled his way in there sort of and he had like this whole sob story about like his parents died when he was young blah 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 and that's obviously very sad but you don't 
do what he did. Yeah, it doesn't work um, molesting a child. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's like you're just a pedophile, right. actually. Um, so that happened, and I told my mom, like, right away, thinking, you know, Oprah, get it done out of my life, you know, whatever. Right. And unfortunately, I went to sleep. They had, like, confronted him, and he came back saying he had been sleepwalking. And that, yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So this guy, so he, did he admit to doing it in his sleep? Yeah, so he, we had, me and my brother had slept in, um, like we were young, I was nine and he was six, I think my brother. And my brother got out of the bed we were sharing, the pull-out couch we were like sleeping on. And walked into my aunt and um, he's my uncle now, but the their room. And then the uncle, his name is Mike, came into my room because I was just there by myself now. And I just pretended to sleep, basically. Like I, so I was like lying down. And the way like it happened and the way I guess I described it to my mom you could kind of see how like maybe it was like oh like she's nine like she doesn't know sleepwalking sort of you know and i've learned over time that a lot of people a lot of children are not believed Mm -hmm. it still makes me angry and like you know kind of i wouldn't have that situation with my kids of course you know but you can kind of see it sort of so how that might have happened so what do you mean exactly like um what happened and then how did you describe it to your mom that made you think that that would actually be reasonable for her to think that so he basically he came in i was lying down i mean also like backstory to this before and after he was always like super creepy and also (laughs) like fast forward into this whole story is just insane um he was always like he would always like be bring me into wrestling and was just like always like rub himself all over me like i always knew he was like kind of creepy like he liked that was his preference so before Um, any of the molestation happened he was doing all of the grooming related things and trying to get me alone um you know just like kind of like i feel like kids obviously don't understand like have names for certain things but i just felt like his energy was always so sexual and i didn't know that it was sexual but i felt a different energy towards him as an adult than anyone else that i've ever felt before if that makes sense it does um so not that like i knew you know i wasn't that smart of a nine-year-old but i i kind of thought it just like i got like weird vibes so yeah 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 weird feeling (laughs) um so I was laying down and he had come in and like, you know, this is obviously a very long time ago, but like I woke up, like I was like awake and I was scared for him to be in my bed, you know, also I'm nine years old. Like why the fuck was a grown man in my bed to begin yeah. with? Like, oh, no, there's never a, there's never a reason for it. <laughs> yeah. Ever. And yeah. now that like I'm, that age well i'm older now i'm 31 now but he was 27 like i just the idea of like if my if i was dating someone and you know they were to be in bed with 
if I had a younger niece or something, I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, you know, so a lot of the story is also, yeah, my family being a little naive. Um, So I was laying down and he just basically like kind of early stages trying to like see what was okay. Like rub, like took his pants down and like rubbed his genitals like all over me. Mm -hmm. Like, Like really couldn't have been misinterpreted in my eyes at all and <laughs> yeah, yeah um yeah. <laughs> and he like did things like that you want to do sleepwalking like the cat came on the bed and i've like had to like replay the story over in my mind a lot because over when i turned 16 i eventually freaked the fuck out that he was still in our lives and yeah. had to like intervene um to get him not in our lives so yeah he did things like he like the cat came on the bed and like he said the cat's name and like i could like hear him that he was like i don't know like like you know i don't know but i did lie down and was like sleeping the whole time no it's it's total paralysis like i felt exactly the same way when the guy who molested me got into bed with me Cause most of the time he was like next to the bed or like just, you know, kneeling by it. Maybe, you know, I wasn't like looking over and trying to see yeah. what was going on. <laughs> yeah, you were like, like, yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying to, you know, investigate. I'm just, be, it's, you feel like a possum. Like you just play dead, like act like it's not happening. I, I totally empathize with that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so yeah, that happened and they didn't believe me. Well, they did believe me and they thought, you know, that something had happened that made me upset, but they didn't think that he was like that person. Sorry. Um, so, so, so he was, so he got into bed, he's doing all that stuff. And then he's saying the cat's name. And, uh, and so you wake up the next morning and, and what's going through your head, what's happening. So when he woke up, I don't know, I, I don't remember if like I went to sleep or what happened. Um, I actually don't even, or if he went to sleep, my aunt like came in the morning, came into the room and was like, why are you in Katie's bed? He was still there. He was still there. What the fuck? Yeah. And he was like, well, it was too crowded with Nick in the bed. (laughs) And it was, I'm like, you know, (laughs) Uh, I'm a girl. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but wait, it gets even crazier. I freaked out when I was 16 was like, you know, had like a lot of issues about him still being my life. They ended up getting married, um, and having a kid and moved like a block away from us. Oh, obviously it wasn't. Yeah. That was, that was tough. Um, yeah. And he was like still creepy, but I think like, you know, he knew I was like just gonna tell on him, so he never did anything. Mm-hmm. But like he he would do things like if he would like always like sit next to me or something, and I'd be like, oh, why is Katie sitting next to me? Like if I like moves, you know, like sick. <sighs> yeah. Stuff. yeah. No, it's it's just breaking the the personal boundary bubble and just in yeah. trying to because i mean that's that's it's like they're that's their favorite thing to do is just like get into a position where they feel comfortable and and can kind of just do things that are not normally acceptable to a kid and and i that's so funny that you mentioned that because i feel like i had similar experiences where he would 
he would call me like there was how oh, I remember what happened. Cause we would always sleep <laughs> in this bed that was upstairs. Um, and it was like, uh, it, it was sort of just like our own little place. Like all the, all the, it would be like a sleepover of like three or maybe four, four boys. And I remember I would always try to sleep in the middle because I knew that if I was in the middle, he's not going to reach across another kid and try to grab my dick. So yeah. I, I was like my defense mechanism. But at that age, like everyone wanted to be in the middle. It was like, it was like when we would be walking together, like just walking to somewhere, whatever, you know, get ice cream or whatever. You'd always want to be in the middle because it would just felt like you were, uh, I don't know, just like you weren't missing out. It's, it's stupid kid logic that doesn't make any sense. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but at the time, it's like life or death and you want to be in the middle. And I remember one time his dad was in the room. Uh, this is just while we were all still awake and we were like getting ready to get into bed. And I was like, I want the middle. And he was like, oh, I bet you're just scared of the boogeyman. And that's like what he ended up sort of referring to himself as, even though nobody else knew that he was referred to himself as the boogeyman. I knew that that's, he, he liked, he liked talking about it when only he and I knew what he actually meant by it. And, yeah. and I think that's what it is, is it's like building this rapport with the kids that makes them uh, know that the, the relationship is more than just a kid adult relationship. They want you to know yeah. that you should be like in your exam, in your case, sitting next to them. Why are you sitting next to me? What's wrong? What's going on? Nothing's nothing weird's happening. I don't understand why you're acting this way. It's uh, there's so, <laughs> so much overlap, but anyway, yeah. yeah, before we move on to, uh, or go later in the story, I just wanted to ask again about when you told your mom, because your aunt, you said your aunt came out and found the guy in bed with you and mm -hmm. his explanation was that there was not enough room in the bed uh, <laughs> once you're young. How old was your, was your brother? So he had to bed like five or six. Yeah. So you can fit two apart. grown adults in the bed, but as soon as you introduce a 40 pound child, it's like, <laughs> it's not yeah. ridiculous. Well, and also the thing is too, I mean, as I've thought about it, like over the years, like my aunt, um, She's very tiny. She has like a prehubescent body. She's very small. Like uh -huh. he just, so even it more was room. just the right, <laughs> the right opportunity. Yeah. Right. So she, so yeah. she comes out and sees him and he says that there wasn't enough room and, and, yeah. and then sort of what's, what's the, what happened after that? It was just kind of like, all right, like, you know, Nothing. There was always this thing with him because his parents have died so young. And I guess he was raised by his grandparents and my family's like very Irish, like Catholic and very close. And like, not so much anymore, but at the time we're like, you know, that was for my brother to go and sleep in my aunt Eileen's bed. That was very normal, you know, mm -hmm. like how we were. Yeah. So I feel like it, like, it was kind of like, oh, there's Mike, like being like, you know, he's like grooming himself to like be in this family when they're married kind of thing, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, you know, like kind of trying to like be like, oh, we're I'm one of the like, you know, one of you guys. Like, right. No, you're fucking not. Yeah. But, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> That makes sense. Um, it's weird as fuck, but, and I wouldn't, looking back, like if I was, like I said, if I was dating someone and they were in a bed with anyone not me like yeah. you know i'd be like what the fuck like yeah you know? yeah of course so. and so and so then later that night you went and told your mom and and that was the the rationale that they used was that he was sleepwalking 
Yeah. Even yeah. though earlier, even though he had said, no, there just wasn't enough room. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. already just a disconnect right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So then, so, so, so your mom, did, both of your parents. You sound like all of my therapists, like when I first saw <laughs> this stuff. <laughs> You're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah well, it's so easy stuff. in retrospect. Once you know somebody's been molested, it's like, oh, well, here are all the signs. But I wanted to know, um, after you told your mom, what was her reaction to it? She, I w she just wanted to have all the facts and not make this huge accusation towards someone. Mm -hmm. I think she was a little naive, unfortunately, because like, I think we both kind of agree. There's not a lot of education on this kind of stuff. Yeah. But usually it's always someone who knows it's not some fucking random homeless guy, like the Port Authority doing this stuff. It's like usually yeah. someone like in yeah. your family, you know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. So I think she was not educated on that unfortunately and it was i don't want to say like you know she didn't want to not believe me but it made the most sense at the time with the knowledge that she had like my mom's like a good person like i don't want to paint my family like they're like yeah, bad yeah. people but it was just like this you know it never happened to her she didn't know and she was just like there's no way not this guy golfing with my husband right now you know and, and mike like you know he's he acted like he liked us and like, you know, it was like loving being like the uncle role. So yeah, it was easier to just believe the, the sleeping story and the way that it happened, like it does make sense in a way, like it wasn't like, you know, I don't know how to explain it. Like the way, like I described the story of my nine year old self, you could see it sort of, but as I got older and I was 16, um, like I said, like mentioned, like 16 is when I was like, no, that happened. Like <laughs> he's not sleepwalking. Like, yeah. and like, you know, started getting the, the vocabulary for it and everything. That's when I started like freaking out. And we, my parents and I had like so much work to do to get to the point where like, he's not in my life actually to fast forward to the story a little bit, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of crazy. And there's like, obviously like a lot in between, but so I was listening to this podcast, um, like, and you know, obviously cause it interests me. And then also just to get a sense of everything and you know, the format, whatever. And I forget who we were talking to. I think it was, um, the younger, he was a younger guy. Um, Probably Will Ogden. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, love him, by the way. Yeah, he's a great guy. <laughs> yeah. One of you were saying, well, like, they usually do it again. Like, there's usually repeat offenders. And so I, I Googled my uncle's name, and he's a registered sex offender. Wow. And the... Yeah, so to a seven-year-old girl, and I don't know any more information. No but, shit. I mean, it's yeah. not surprising, right? I mean, it, it it totally makes sense, but like, that is crazy. So, when did that happen? Um, so I can't because like I'm learning, like I can't find out more information than what the sex offender like does, like says. Yeah. So they moved to, there was a point when I was 16, when my mom was like, all right, you guys, sorry, can't be in your life. We really actually believe Katie and like Mike's a bad person. So we're not going to do Christmas, Thanksgiving, 
That's it. They had a kid at this point. They were married. And I don't know if it was like because of what happened with us or because like North Carolina is just cheaper than like this area. They at one point just moved down to North Carolina and we haven't talked to them like ever again. Wow. Um, so I Googled his name plus North Carolina. And for some reason, that's when it came up and the North Carolina uh, sex offender registry and basically, it says attempted sexual battery, two different counts on a seven-year-old girl. And he was just convicted in 2019, February of 2019. Whoa. Yeah. So crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I was right. <laughs> like... yeah, of course you were. Of course you were. The kid's always right. Um, but I, you, you brought up a good point, which is that when you were talking about your mom not necessarily believing you, and you said that you know she's not a bad person. Of course, it's like yeah, you know, it, it's the the position that we're in right now as a society is not, it doesn't, I mean, there are of course instances where people are just bad people and, and don't believe their kids for, for reasons, other reasons, but it's just being uninformed. It's just not having the information about how common this is, what to look out for. Basically in my head, it's like, if you're sleeping with a child, that's enough to, <laughs> to, to assume that you're, to know that you're molesting them. Like it's literally, yeah. it's what sleeping with means in our culture. <laughs> that's how we describe yeah. having sex. It's, there's nothing else that you're doing. It's of course that's going on. But a lot of people hold grudges against family members and things like that. And I Again, there are instances where those are completely warranted, but um, really it's a, it's a societal problem more than anything else. Yeah. How under wraps this issue has been kept. It's like people just have no idea how common it is and that you really shouldn't be surprised if your kid comes up and I mean, I'll, we don't want any more kids to go through this, of course, yeah. but if your kid <laughs> speaks up, like there shouldn't be a thought in your mind that they're lying. And I think that if we were able to get everyone in the world to know how common it is it would they, people would be much less likely to brush it off because it's easier and because you know it's a massive complication that you're introducing to your to your life this established relationship that you have with your aunt and uncle or y your parents you know uh, uh, brother-in-law it's a huge thing to have to deal with right in that moment and it doesn't make it right that they didn't believe you but it doesn't make them a bad person yeah no so i i agree with yeah. you completely but that, <laughs> that is so wild that yeah. he's now registered and um I mean, good, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I was not surprised to see that at all. That's like my more recent drama, but it's just like probably going to be like a whole other chapter of like that, I guess. I mean, there's really nothing else to, to do. I like looked into it if I could like now file reports and we can't. The, the important thing is that he can't do it to more kids. So, you know, it's great news. I wanted to ask you about your 16 year old freak out. What caused that to happen? Do you remember anything specific that sort of triggered you to re speak uh, up? So I, I guess like, yeah, it was just like high school, like realizing, you know, that my first sexual experience had already happened. And so they had gotten married and that was obviously hard. And then also, um, they moved, they bought a house like a block away from my parents. And that was really, 
difficult. It was just yeah. kind of like, oh shit, like <laughs> not going anywhere, are you? And then yeah. they had a kid and I like, you know, when my cousin was a baby, I obviously like loved my cousin, you know, and that was, it was kind of like bittersweet, like having him there like that. But I think like, you know, the vibe, like he never did anything again, but it was like every Christmas, every holiday seeing him and the vibes and the yeah. creepiness and just like, I just fucking hated him like so much. Like, yeah, definitely. Um, and then, I mean, I don't know if it's just me, but I, I ended up getting really sick too. I got, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I have MS. I'm mm-hmm. pretty like healthy for it, but I don't know. It's kind of like hippie dippy stuff, but I feel like a lot of why I was sick at that time was because of like how much I was like holding in and I oh, started yeah. to like, you know, 16 is like very young to get diagnosed with MS. Like very young. Um, so I got really sick and like, I forgot like what came what, but basically just couldn't, like I was like a straight A student and then I was like, not going to do it anymore. Started acting out. Um, just trying to do all these things to get attention, like, because I was very, like, like, I always tell the truth, sort of. So, like, I was always telling my parents, like, <laughs> we gotta get them out of our lives, like, you oh, know, really? and then so, eventually... so you were consistently bringing up that you wanted him gone. Yeah, so not from, like, 9 to 16, but oh, okay, when, yeah. I think what happened is I went, I started doing bad in school, and I went to, in, like, 13 14 15 like there was like years where i just didn't talk about it you know yeah um and i i went to go see a therapist in school because of my grades were failing and like i had always had grades and she asked me what's wrong and i just started crying and like couldn't tell her Mm -hmm. and then that's when i got into therapy and i started telling the therapist I don't know why I knew to tell them. And they were like, yeah, like, that's, that's bad. Like he shouldn't be in your life. And I was like, okay, well tell these idiots because he is like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. So I don't know how many years that was. Eventually I ended up going to another therapist and he was like, to my parents, he cannot be in her life. Like, even if say whatever, he didn't do it, it's hurting her. Like yeah. stop it and kind of a lot to have that aha moment, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's what it took. And um I mean, I don't wanna say that I just got, like magically got better or whatever, but around like eighteen, then I stopped like, you know, I ended up obviously getting my master's degree and everything like that. And I started taking responsibility for my life again. Um, but I stopped bucking out a lot once he was out of my life. And then even more once I moved to North Carolina, (laughs) (laughs) kind of come down. (laughs) I don't know. I had followed the rules and that didn't work. So when that, I didn't get what my, the response I wanted, then I just, I don't know. (laughs) That's when I started like freaking out basically. Yeah, definitely. It's crazy. The, um, the feeling of release that is accompanied, but with speaking up and I can imagine that it was a very different experience telling them when you were 16 and make, you know, was obviously a different reaction than when you had told them originally and probably felt a lot better. I can imagine, you know, having them actually believe you. 
And you're an example of somebody who, who wasn't believed. And it's like, I think for people that are going through this, for example, or, or maybe are in the exact same position that, that you were in, you won't be believed by everybody. But that doesn't mean you're lying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know. Like, yeah. And, and, and you just have to keep speaking up. Like, you know your truth. You know what happened to you. And there will always be people that find ways to, to doubt victims. Generally, they have some sort of a vested interest in the people that are accused, um, not being the person that they're accused of being. So I, it's like, it's, it's another reason it's so important to find people that like therapists that are willing to listen impartially and are not sort of tied at all to your actual life dynamics. But really, it just comes down to, to speaking up. And it's like, if you do that, you're already making an immense amount of progress in healing yourself and obviously preventing things from happening anymore. Even though you were still forced to be around him, you had, I mean, you told your parents like the day after that's like fucking legendary that you were able to pull that <laughs> off. Like, you know, like most people just never say anything. Most people die with this and just never say anything yeah. or take many, many, many years to speak up. And you know, you, despite not being believed, it still didn't happen anymore. Obviously there were all of the uncomfortable feelings of him, you know, trying to get in your space and stuff, but speaking up, even if you're not believed, you have a chance of it stopping. So it's like, it's, it's really an awesome example of, of highlighting the importance of speaking up, even in the, the case of not being believed by your parents. And even then, even then, they might still believe you down the line if you continue to speak up. So it's honestly very, it's super encouraging to hear. I can imagine it was very difficult to go through, but uh, coming out the <laughs> other side, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Isn't it funny how say that you hadn't seen that particular episode of Oprah. Do you think you would have said anything if you had not been sort of primed with the information about good touches and bad touches? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And I think I kind of want to think that too. I mean, and this is kind of ironic. I think because when that Oprah episode was on, we were all um, visiting my aunt in Washington. We were all on vacation. So we were all in our condo my other aunt used to live in Washington. So we'd go out there a lot, but my family was there during that episode. And we're like, are you listening? Do you see like this should never happen? Which is kind of ironic considering what actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> but I Wait, so your mom was like, this is terrible. She, she raised me with a lot of stranger danger. Like she was yeah. all on that, you know, like, and I'm please. sure that if, if it had been a stranger, she would have believed you. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And that's why it's hard. I mean, I'm sure you like watch like the Michael Do um, Jackson documentary. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh my God, the parents, like, what were they thinking? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's Michael fucking Jackson. You exactly. know what I mean? Like He's when buying them houses. <laughs> Like, it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. talk about grooming this guy's this guy's spending millions of dollars on these families and he is like the absolute epitome of a child molester he's probably the most prolific pedophile of all time it's like yeah. even even when faced with like you really can't have more evidence against a person and yet there are still millions maybe not millions lots of people who think that he's innocent but 
just in the same way that your parent, your mom had a, a reason to not want your uncle to be a molester, all of the people that are defending Michael Jackson are Michael Jackson fans. They have some sort yeah, of- Yeah, they like uh, his music. Yeah, it's because yeah. he, he was like the most, he was like the most famous person in the world, basically. And like, that's people's idol. If it turns out that your idol is a pedophile and somebody that you built your life around in many, in many cases and have values that are core to yourself that were from them like it forces you to re-examine your own life and honestly it's just like way more complicated and it's a lot easier to just be like nah he didn't do it move on and uh yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah it's that yeah that that documentary was uh was wild it's the same kind of mentality sort of of like you know someone can make these really great songs so how on earth could they do that to kids like people yeah don't understand like yeah like they can like they're that's <laughs> the whole point is they blend into society really well like right and going back to you know the sleeping with kids aspect it's like it it's that simple this guy is spending most of his nights with children there was a kid who testified yeah. that he spent 30 nights in a row with michael jackson <laughs> Like, when's the last time you spent 30 nights in a row with somebody that you're not having sex with? You know, yeah. I mean? like it's impossible. Yeah. It doesn't happen. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And it was the same story with me. It was like, Mike had the sad, sad story about not having a family. And that's what, like, Michael Jackson like sob story was he didn't have a childhood people use that as rationale for why he's innocent they're like no he just didn't have a childhood so he likes to be <laughs> around kids so that he can experience childhood it's like you guys are fucking idiots like i just <laughs> yeah. can't even believe the, the hoops that people will jump through to not believe what is clear and obvious child molestation this is what i mean it's like there, there will always be rationalizations for the behavior. The majority of the time, they'll have explanations like sleepwalking, like their kids sleeping better in the room. And until we're willing to like face the reality of how big of a problem this is, those those justifications will continue to work. And our yeah. whole like judicial system when it comes to handling this kind of stuff needs to change and circumstantial evidence like just being in the room with children at night sleeping there should be weighted way more than it is right now. And until that happens, it's going to be hard to, to get convictions because there isn't the standard evidence that you find in like a murder scene or something like that. You know, there's very rarely any yeah. tracks, but in any case, it, it's just, it's awesome to know that like, something as subtle as seeing an episode of Oprah where they're talking about this stuff allowed you to speak up. And that's so encouraging for moving forward with this kind of stuff to know that like, it's, it can be as simple as just kids knowing that it's a problem, that it can happen. Yeah. And, and that the solution is also simple. Speak up, you know, it doesn't, doesn't need to be yeah. hard. And if we can make it this thing that's not shameful, that you don't need to be afraid of, then I can imagine that it would be a lot easier for people to speak up. So I think, um, I think that's awesome that you were able to do that, despite not being believed initially. <laughs> so you said you've been in therapy for a while. Are you still doing therapy? So if I would to do therapy now, just be because of like 2020 and <laughs> yeah. like other like life stuff. Like yeah. I'm not opposed to therapy. Um, but so, I mean, now there's a new development, but I did therapy 
for God, God, I don't know, years. Um, and I had one really, really, really good one when I was younger. Um, Bonnie, she was awesome. Love Bonnie. Shout out um, to Bonnie. Shout out to Bonnie. Yeah. She's uh, my Facebook friend, but I deleted Facebook, so we don't keep in touch <laughs> anymore. But good call. Though, she was really way. good. I feel like that like therapy like a good therapist will like educate you and like my mom actually was in therapy for like six years when she realized like what she did she had a lot of guilt obviously Mm -hmm. um and like a good therapist will like educate you of like how common this is and um how at least in my eyes like i think someone who likes children it's not you it has nothing to do with you it's a preference towards show it's literally a sexual preference yeah and um in my opinion the only problem is is that the other end of that preference can't consent <laughs> they're right. young to consent and that's why it's wrong <laughs> yeah but i don't think they yeah so i i like i feel like that's like i don't know like my way of like kind of like coping with it is like this like that's what he was and that's what he was going to be whether he dated my aunt or anyone else you know i just happened to be there yeah it's got nothing to do with you yeah it's yeah it's it's completely (laughs) unrelated to it's you know we as victims tend to put blame on ourselves like why didn't i speak up not in your case but but you know why didn't i say something sooner was a big thing for me um and the reality is just as you said the only person at fault is the abuser that's it there's no there's nobody else uh responsible for it and um i just really admire your your ability to to talk so openly about this and it's so easy to talk with you about it and um i think it's just credit to the healing that you've done yeah i mean that's I'm like, just like praying that like more people, I don't know how to explain it, but like, I do like talking about it, but I get really sad when it's framed in a way that stigmatizes like the victims, you know, like I'm very careful of like who I tell because I'm first and foremost, like a million other things before I'm that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, I think if there's like better like role models, like people who are like funny and like, you know, like kind of like doing things like that is why, like, I liked about you that you like, that was smart, like to go up and talk about that in comedy. And I think that's why it resonated with so many people, you know, it doesn't have to, it's very sad. I'm not saying it's not sad. It's extremely (laughs) sad. Yeah. But like, it is a huge dark thing. It does have to be a huge dark thing, but like it could be talked about in a way where like, we're not all like dying. Like it's fine. Like we're, like, we're all yeah. be okay. You know what I mean? Like- I completely get that. And thank you for saying it. You don't have to joke about it all the time. You don't have to be like happy go lucky about getting molested. But <laughs> yeah. There's a huge uh, amount of benefit that comes from, talking about these things in a different way. Like there will always be sadness associated with these things. I've had my fair share of it. And it's not saying that you can't cry about what you've been through or recognize that it is an absolutely horrible thing that's plaguing our species right now. But um, there there is uh, an untapped resource of humor and lightheartedness that you can tackle these topics with that ultimately makes it easier to talk about. And right now, I think that that's our best defense against it is talking about it in any form. And 
you know, I remember this one uh, message that I got uh, from uh, a lady who had been molested. And she said that every time she tells somebody and they get really sad and, and feel bad for her and feel uncomfortable, all of that, it feels like she's being victimized again you know? Yeah. And you never want as somebody, as a victim, the, the majority of people don't want anybody else to feel bad because of something that they went through, you know? And especially yeah. with things like molestation, it's like, if we can, just as you said, remove the stigma around these conversations, people are just going to start talking constantly about it. And it'll just <laughs> be this thing that you don't have to sit people down and be like, okay, brace yourself, you know, like it's, and it can't even be that thing because of how common it is. It's not even rare yeah. anymore. People, because of how like, fucking in the dark everybody is about it. It seems like this super yeah, gross, cringy thing. And like, it just doesn't need to be that way. And it's important it that we don't keep it that way. You know, we gotta, we gotta treat this. Clearly what we've been doing is not working. <laughs> it's like, it yeah. can't be working yeah. less. The approach that <laughs> we're taking like, towards it. Yeah. So, um, it is working horribly. So. Yes. I know from the people who I've spoken with that have reached out, who have been listening to this podcast, how beneficial it is hearing people talk openly and candidly about their experiences. And like you said, like you are so many more things than this. You don't have to be defined by it. No. Yeah. That's like my biggest thing. It's like, it's not like, hi, like I was molested. Like, you know, it's not like who I am, you know? But also I think like, it's interesting, I guess for me, because I, you know, I mentioned like I have MS and, you know, I have this other thing too. Um, You know, people with chronic illness are not often blamed or, you know, there's no follow up question when I say I have MS. It's just like, oh, you have that. Okay. And sometimes there are people, you know what I mean? But the difference in how, like, my boss knows I have MS. I probably would never in a million years tell like, I got, like, it wouldn't (laughs) come up with, like, you know what I mean? But, like, while we're in this area. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> but like all my poet, you know, like I can talk about that and not feel like it's a very sad thing. It's obviously a struggle. Like it's not, you know, yeah. it sucks, but it's interesting having that that has no stigma and then having that having happened to me and not being able to have those same conversations where I'm like, yeah. if this person says, oh my God, I feel so, yeah, I don't know. Like I would like, to see i mean obviously we all would to see any problem you have you can just have that problem you know like (laughs) regardless hopefully one day being able to talk about whatever you've gone through without being worried about being judged for whatever you've gone through is so essential to healing and um we got to make it easier for people to to talk about these things there's so many topics in addition to molestation that people feel like they can't bring up and generally speaking it feels like whatever you feel like you can't bring up needs to be brought up the most so it's like i think destigmatizing conversations about anything that's hard to talk about is super beneficial yeah yeah exactly Oh, I was going to say too, like, just bring about the whole differences between like MS and like being molested or anything really. Like I've done like presentations in college where I brought in like my MRI scans and been like, I have MS, like, here's how it relates. You know what I mean? Like I could never 
do that with other stuff, yeah, you know, and I'm so uncle. inspirational. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here I am. I'm nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's yeah. so inspirational when I do it. I'm like, Oh my God, it's like, I could do this with everything. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, so I guess the other thing I had mentioned as well, and there's so many, like, it's like hard to tell the story, like in a, uh, what you call it chronological. from start to end chronological is the word. Um, in, after I think Mike had moved, after I was diagnosed with MS, I still, I mean, I guess, I don't know, I was like kind of getting better. And then I was dating someone in high school and I had broken up with him after our senior year because I just felt like, you know, I wanted to go one way and he wanted to just stay where he was and that's fine. But then it, he was very upset, obviously, and very isolated. He didn't have like a lot of big support system. So um, we were texting, like we were fighting. I forgot what we were fighting about. And he uh, said, I'm so sick of, like, I'm so sick of feeling this way. And um, he took his own life that during while this time all the stuff was happening so that was another thing that happened but it all happened like back to back to back so I don't know when I think of like any all of high school and like 16 or like when I meet new people and they're talking about their high school times I'm just like I just say I was sick like I just I was sick like all of high school I had a mess and like I don't want to fucking talk about it and yeah what did you guys think about college (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. well college I was able to yeah that's when able to be a little normal kind of that's wild though yeah yeah you can't imagine dealing with that on top of everything else that you were going through it just uh stacks up you know did you ever blame yourself for that in any way? I did. I mean, I think rationally when someone says like kill yourself, like it's in the name of who is doing the killing, like they're killing themselves. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, so rationally I understood that like when it first happened, I was just kind of dumb. And then for like a whole year, I was like extremely obviously sad and upset about it and have yeah. a lot of regret and guilt and wish I could have been there for him more. Um, then just did it. Like I knew he was lonely, but in my mind, my naive, like high school mind, like his dad was awesome. Like his family had a lot of money, like, you know, nice pool and everything. And, you know, I guess money can't make you happy, but in my mind, like, you know, I didn't have that. So it was like, yeah, you know, what's, what's the big deal? Like when he said he was sad, I just didn't know, you know, like I didn't know he would actually go and do that. I had no idea. I didn't even know he had that was capable of doing that. Like yeah. he hung himself. I was like, I didn't even know he knew how to tie a noose. Like I didn't, yeah. like I didn't know that. Like I just thought it was like a cry for help and he was being dramatic, you know, I mean, yeah. it was high school and in my mind too, I just went through all that stuff. And I think this was when I was 18. This is my senior year. And I was just like, get over it. <laughs> like, I was like, kind of like, I'm like, I'm like a dick sort of, but like, it was like, I had just been through no. so much. I just, I wasn't very sympathetic for him being lonely. And that was hard for me to understand because of everything I had just gone through. 
And his parents were getting divorced too. But everyone during that time, a lot of other people were getting divorced, you know, or they weren't also getting diagnosed with MS and getting molested. So, you know, it kind of wasn't, it's hard. Well, not to say when, when people are putting, putting their problems on you and being like, it's because of you that I feel this way. It's like, it's, it's not fair for them to do that. And it would be unfair to yourself to just accept all of that blame and obviously impossible for you to know that he was going to go kill himself. I mean, like what it would be, it would be ridiculous for you to assume that that was going to happen. Um, and it's just like, you know, we talk about responsibility and blame and it's interesting that we as humans often default to blaming ourselves for things that are clearly out of our control. I don't know why we do that but we do it a lot <laughs> and it's like, it's yeah, yeah. like super traumatic <laughs> things and all of this it's just important to recognize that like not that there's any blame that needs to be assigned for something like what happened with your ex-boyfriend but at the end of the day it's not on you it's not on you that you got molested yeah. it's not on you that you have ms it's not on you that your ex-boyfriend <laughs> killed himself and uh, I think it's important that we recognize that. And it allows you to heal when you're not sort of thinking that you need to suffer so that you'll be even, you know, like I need to suffer yeah. as much as they went through so that I, I can, I can be happy again. Like what a ridiculous thought process that it seems to be so common. Yeah. None of that needs to happen, but yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy stuff you went through. Young love. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, yes. I don't know if I have kids or not dating in high school. Like, or they're not, <laughs> no, no point in getting that serious. That they'll fast. be watching. And a, that was my thinking. Yeah, they'll be watching a lot of Oprah, which will be good. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, Oprah, not Ellen. Apparently, she's apparently now, not. But, yeah, who knew? Yeah, apparently she is not not the cool cat that we thought she was. But um, yeah. Anyway, Katie, this is, it's been really, really awesome chatting with you. And I, I'm so happy that you felt like you could share all of this and to just hear you uh, speaking about these things from the mindset that you have, it's like very level headed and, and, you know, you're talking about some of the heaviest shit that you can discuss. And it's like, no problem. I think that it's, it's very helpful for people to, to see somebody talking about, a really difficult um, set of experiences that you went through and to be able to laugh about it and to smile about it yeah. is, is really awesome. So thank you so much for, for coming on here and sharing your story. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for like the trajectory of this. It's inspiring me. Like I'm more of like a writer um, than I am nice. like a comedian or anything to, you know, write about my experiences. I obviously have a lot of time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, thank you for that. Like, I think that it's obviously something that people want. It's just, they wanted a medium that is ingestible and yeah, I don't know. Definitely. So, yeah. It's cool to say. And, um, I'm excited for like everything that you're doing and, you know, I'm definitely a big fan. Thank you you so much. That means a lot. It was great chatting with you. And I look forward to keeping in touch and speaking with you again in the future. 